Jesus performed, it's the only miracle that's mentioned in all four Gospels. And so it's the prominent miracle in the ministry of Christ. Now you think about all the miracles that he performed, this one of the feeding of the multitude is the only one mentioned in all four Gospels. There's a reason behind that, and there's a reason that it was such a prominent miracle. Uh, but it is. You think about the miracles that were left out of the other. You think about the miracles that John covered. And John, listen, the miracles that in, in the Gospel of John, are, most of them are not found in the Synoptic Gospels, but this one is. And matter of fact, this is the only miracle that's covered in detail in the book of John that is mentioned in the Synoptic Gospels. So it is the most prominent miracle in the ministry, in the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I told that to someone, they said, well, how the resurrection is. And I'm not talking about the resurrection. We know that that is or was his greatest miracle when he got up uh, three days victorious over death, hell, and the grave. But in his ministry, this is the most prominent miracle uh, that he performed. And uh, the Bible says here, as soon as the miracle uh, as soon as he had fed the multitude, they took up 12 baskets full of, full of fragments and uh, then he constrained the disciples to get in a ship and go to the other side. And the reason behind that was is because when they saw the miracle, when the multitude saw the miracle, they wanted to make him king. They wanted how to set him up as a political ruler. They was not really concerned about spiritual things, but... They, they wanted to uh, set him up as a king, as a political ruler instead of Rome. And had the disciples, that's what they were looking for. They were looking for the Messiah to come and set up his kingdom. And so, uh, listen, he, uh, they wanted to make him a king. And so he sent the disciples away and then he begins to send the multitude away. And the Bible says that he goes up to, uh, up to the mountain and begins to pray. And he constrains the disciples to get on the ship and to go to the other side. Now, uh, what we'll find in this text is that a great storm arose or a great wind arose and these disciples find themselves in a storm yet again. Now, this is not the first storm they've been in. This is not the first trouble that they've encountered. It's not the first storm they've been in their life and it's certainly not the first storm they've been in, uh, in while they've been following Christ. You remember Mark chapter number 4 that Jesus constrained them to get in the ship and go to the other, other side and they were going to the capitalist to uh, reach a maniac that was a wild man that was possessed with demons and how the Bible said that a great storm arose but the difference between that storm and I don't want to get ahead of myself but the difference in that storm is Jesus was on the ship. He was asleep in the hinder part, but in this storm, he's not with them physically. He's not on the ship with them. And so, uh, listen, a great storm arises and, and uh, they find themselves yet again in a storm. And I will look at this storm tonight and uh, give you a few thoughts about these verses and I'll get to verse number 52 and you just hang with me. But I want you to notice, first of all, the timing in this storm. Uh, the timing of it. I want to say, first of all, it came after a miracle. I mean, as soon as these disciples left the most prominent miracle in the ministry of Christ, as they seen the Lord, I mean, could you imagine? They, he feeds a multitude, 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. Some commentators believe they possibly could have been upward of 20,000 20, people 
here that Jesus uh, fed with the five loaves and two fishes and they were a part of that. They literally distributed uh, those loaves and fishes and they just witnessed the most prominent miracle uh, that Christ done in his earthly ministry. And as soon as that miracle, it's a, listen, it's on a hillside. And as soon as they leave the hillside, as soon, as soon as they leave the miracle and get in a ship, a storm arises. I mean, just as soon as they leave a great miracle, then a great storm comes. And can I say, hey, listen, that's the way life is a lot of times. It seems like God will do something great in our life. And then a few days later, they will be a storm. There'll be trouble that arises. I don't know how many times I went into churches and uh, listen, God move and them have a great revival and a great move of God and a few days or even a few months down the road a trouble comes in the church a storm hits the church and, and many scatter and have because of the storm you'll find that all the way through the scripture oftentimes after a great accomplishment or a, a great move of God trouble comes I think about Elijah when he prayed fire down from heaven and God uh, listen, uh, perform that great miracle on Mount Carmel. In the next chapter, he's under the juniper tree uh, wishing he was dead. And so he comes from the mountaintop uh, to under a juniper tree. I mean, listen, as soon as the, as the mountaintop experience had ended, he immediately runs uh, uh, under the juniper tree and, and is, listen, in depression. And so we'll find that principle mentioned many times in the scripture. And can I say that's the, again, that's the way life is. It's a series of mountaintops and valleys. And, and uh, amen, friend, listen, God will do something again. There'll be trouble arise because man, born of a woman is few days and full of trouble. Many people will say, they'll ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Can I say bad things don't happen to good people? Bad things happen to all people. Us man born of a woman is few days and full of troubles. And I'm glad for the great things. And I'm glad for the miracles that he has performed in my life. But rest assured, listen, there is a storm coming. And oftentimes, it is fall. Listen, it follows a miracle. And so it's after a miracle. But don't you notice this? Not only it was after a miracle. Listen, it was when they had adhered to the message. Look what the Bible said again here in verse number forty. Five, verse number 45, the Bible says straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side. And so this word constrained is a, uh, listen, it's a strong word. He is urging them. He, he's constraining them uh, to get into the ship. It appears that maybe they did not want to at first, but he constrains them. And so they obey the word of God. They obey uh, the message that was given unto them. And in their obedience, uh, listen, they got into the ship and uh, started journeying toward the other side. And so here they are. They're not out of the will of God. They're, they're exactly where they're supposed to be. They're doing exactly what they should be doing. And all of a sudden, a great wind arises. They've obeyed the word of God. Listen, this storm didn't arise because of their disobedience. It did not arise because of their sin. It simply just arose in the will of God. But I want to say this. Not only was it the timing of but it was after a miracle and it was when they adhered to the message but I want to say it was when they were away from the master 
Verse number 46, the Bible said, and when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And so I, I said a moment ago, the difference in this storm and the other one is that Jesus is not on a ship. As a matter of fact, he sent, he's constrained them to get in the ship and go to the other side. And he sends the multitudes away. Now, they've been seated in fifties and hundreds. They've been seated in groups. And I think probably one of the reasons that Jesus told them to do that is because when he, uh, listen, when he dismissed them, that they would not be, a, he would not dis, dismiss all of them at one time, but probably dismissed them in groups. Amen. You say, why would you say that? Uh, because God is a God of order. He is not a God of chaos. Could you imagine 15 to 20,000 people trying to get off that hillside that day? And so it probably took Jesus a while to dismiss that many people. And then he goes up to a mountain to pray. And so by the time they're on the ship, it's dark and Jesus is up on the mountain. They have no idea where he is. Because he's not where they left him at. He's not, listen, he's not at the place where he was the last time they saw him. And so they have no idea where he is. Could you imagine the confusion uh, that they're experiencing? I mean, uh, they know they can go through a storm if he's on board, but now he's not. And now they don't know where he is. And they don't know where to find him. If they wanted to go to him, they didn't know how to go to him. They didn't know, uh, listen, where to even find him at. So they were away from the master. Amen. Notice the timing of the storm, but notice the testing in the storm. I'm going somewhere, hang with me. The testing in the storm tonight. I want to say, first of all, the Bible says uh, that it was a powerful wind. Amen. John chapter number six, in another account of this, uh, this incident, you'll find the Bible said a great wind that blew. And so the wind that was blowing on the Sea of Galilee uh, was a very powerful wind. And the Bible says that it was a great wind. In the text, in verse number 48, the Bible said that the wind was contrary unto them. That word contrary means it was against them. And so that wind was working against them. Here they were trying to go forward, but the wind was fighting them. They were trying how to make progress, but the wind was contrary. It was fighting them. It was against them. And, and so here they are. They're, they're, they're encountering a, a powerful wind, and it's too much for them. They're not making any progress. Uh, they're not going forward because the wind is more powerful uh, than they are, and they are not making any progress. It's a powerful wind, but I want to say, notice the position of the boat. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 14 and verse number 24 that the ship was now in the midst of the sea. Now, the, the word now in the midst of the sea, think about this, that's not where they intended to be. In other words, it, they started out on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. They were intending just to skirt across the, the northern corner of the sea uh, to Capernaum. It was just a short distance, just in the northern section of Galilee. But by the time, listen, when they got in that wind, that wind had blew them all the way down to the midst of the sea. In other words, they were way off course. Amen. Amen. 
I mean, they were not where they intended to be. They were not where they even started to be. But they were way, they were further from their location than what they were when they even started. The wind had overpowered them and had blew them all the way to the middle of the sea. And so, listen, the position of the boat, they're out of position. They're out of place and they're encountering a powerful wind. But notice the perplexity of the disciples. Verse number 48. How the Bible said he saw them toiling and rowing for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them walking upon the sea. So listen, they were perplexed. The Bible said here that they were toiling and rowing. Amen. Now we'll find from John, in the book of John chapter number 6 verse number 17 that the Bible says there that it was dark. And so, they, listen, it, it, had, it had already had turned dark. Here they were on the Sea of Galilee. Now, I don't have time to get into it, but you remember in Mark chapter number 4, there were other little ships with them. Not so in this instance. There's no other ships with them. As a matter of fact, listen, if you go on and read the next chapter, uh, listen, people are looking on the sea and there's no other ships. And, and so there's no other ships on the sea. And, and it's dark on that sea. It's dark at night. They cannot see in front of them. They cannot see where the Lord is. It's a time of darkness. And they don't even know, probably don't even know exactly where they're located there on the Sea of Galilee. And so it's a time of darkness. But I want to say this. Not only is it a time of darkness, I want to say that these men were depleted. You say, what do you mean? Well, the Bible says here in the verse number 48, and about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea. Now, that's interesting. Because he told them to get in the ship and go to the other side, and evidently, there was a little daylight left when he, they got in the ship. By the time they got in the midst of the sea, it was dark. And the, the Bible said Jesus came to them in the fourth watch of the night. Now, listen, we know this, that's uh, sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So these disciples had been on the water for about, uh, listen, for about nine hours. Amen. Now, I've, got, I've had this in my mind for years. Uh, it, listen, I just always had it in my mind that a storm arose, a wind arose, and they were in trouble. And uh, listen, as soon as the Lord, uh, as soon as they were in trouble, the Lord came walking to them. But that's not what happened. Matter of fact, the storm ro arose and the wind began to blow and they began to, uh, listen, they began to fight the wind and row and do everything they could. And uh, Jesus didn't immediately come to their rescue. But he let them struggle for a while. He let them, amen, he let them try to do it on their own for a while. He let them try, uh, listen, in their own energy, in their own power, uh, to, to try to get across to the other side. Now the Bible says uh, that they had rode 525 uh, to 30 furlongs, which is about three or four miles. So these men had been on the water for nine hours had been rowing and all the only progress, they've went about three or four miles. Amen. So listen, they're rowing and they're literally not going anywhere. Hey, could you imagine how, how tired they must have been? Could you imagine how exhausted they must have been? I mean, could you imagine how depleted they must have been. I think by this instance they'd been up for several hours and, and uh, they're already tired in their body and here they are for nine long hours on the water trying to get across, trying to get help, trying to get relief. 
I'm telling you, Jesus does not come immediately to their aid. And so uh, they are depleted. They're tired. They're wore out. They're, uh, listen, they're discouraged. They're disgusted. And they absolutely do not know what to do. Amen. Can I say this? I've been there a time or two. Amen. I've been there. Listen, I've trouble arises, and I'm glad sometimes the Lord just automatically shows up and calms the storm, but many times it don't work that way. Sometimes uh, he'll let us stay in the dark for some, a period of time. So, uh, oftentimes we'll have to struggle for a while for relief ever comes, for help ever comes. You say, preacher, that, that's not too encouraging. I'm just being honest tonight. Uh, sometimes, uh, uh, listen, we have to go through some struggles and go through some hard and sometimes they last longer than we wish they would. Amen. And so listen, the, notice the testing of the storm. Then I want you to notice the tenderness of the storm. Amen. I want you to notice first of all that the praying of Christ. Amen. The Bible said in verse number 46, and when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. I wonder what he's praying about. Amen. I wonder who he's praying for. Amen. You see, they don't know what's up ahead, but he does. They don't know what they're about to encounter, but he does. He don't know. Listen, they don't know the wind they're about to encounter, but he does. They don't know the darkness and the and the, and listen the anxiety and the trouble that they're about to go through, but he does. And so he goes up on a mountain to intercede, no doubt, on their behalf. And he's praying. Listen, they can't see him. They don't know what he's doing. In their mind, they're probably wondering where he is or what he's doing or what's taking so long. But I can tell you, friend, what he was doing. He was praying for them. He was interceding on their behalf. And I'm glad. Hey, listen, when I don't know where he is. I'm glad he's always seated at the right hand of God interceding for you and I. I like what he told Peter. He said, Peter, Satan hath desired to sift this week. He said, but I have prayed for thee. He didn't say I'm praying for you. He said, I've already prayed for you. In other words, trouble's coming your way. But I've already talked to God. I've already interceded on your behalf. I've already prayed about it. And it's going to be alright, Peter. And before these disciples have knew what was going to hit them. Jesus was interceding on their behalf. I'm glad we can pray for one another. I'm glad, listen, we can mention prayer requests tonight. But can I tell you, I'm glad I've got one seated in the heavenlies that is interceding on my behalf. I don't know what I'm going to face tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to face next week. But thank God He does. And He's already talking to God. Amen. So he prayed for them. Now don't you know the praying, but notice the perception. In verse number 48, the Bible said he saw them. Amen. Now you remember it's, it's dark. Amen. And you remember he's on the mountain. Amen. He, he's, listen, he's a good ways from the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Matter of fact, where he's at, he's still on the northeastern shore of Galilee up on the hillside. Amen. They're all the way down the midst of the Galilee, Sea of Galilee. 
So they're a good ways from him. And, and it's dark and they can't see him. But thank God he sees them. And he knows what they're going through. And they, they may think that he don't know, but he knows. And he, they may think that he can't see them, but he sees them. In spite of the darkness, he still sees them. In spite of the storm, he still sees them. In spite of what's going on, he still got his eyes on them. And he's watching them, even though they do not know Amen. I'm glad, thank God, he sees what we're going through. Amen. I said there a moment ago, there's no other little ships in this storm. It's just them. And so there ain't nobody else knows what they're going through. Amen. There ain't nobody else but the 12 know what they're going through. And nobody can see what they're, they're out there in the midst of the storm. And the winds are blowing and nobody can see. Nobody's with them. Nobody may even know what they're going through. But thank God he sees what they're going through. He sees. Uh, listen, what's going on? And can I say tonight, listen, nobody may know what you're going through. Amen. Hey, listen, your preacher may not know the storm that's in your life and what you're going through. And hey, maybe your wife don't even know, but can I tell you, he sees what you're going through. He saw them. Amen. Not only he saw them, but listen to the perception, but notice the position. Amen. Verse number 48. The Bible said he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, I like this. He cometh unto them. Now you remember the last storm, they went and got him. He's asleep in the hinder part of the ship. And they go to him and awake him and say, Lord, carest thou not that we perish. But they can't go get him now. They don't know where he is. They don't know how. Listen, they can't even get off the off the sea. They can't even get out of the ship. They can't even get out of the storm. They how it's impossible for them to get to him. But you know what he does? He comes to where they are, and he does not let the storm hinder him. But he comes walking up on the sea, and the very thing that they're afraid of, and the very thing that's got them distracted and discouraged and troubled, he's walking upon that very thing that's troubling them and he's coming to them when they can't get to him he comes to where they are amen amen friend now I don't know I don't know this but I don't really find where they call out to him I don't really find where they call on him I don't really find where they cry out to him but God in his mercy and the Lord in his grace comes to them when they're on there you say why was they not crying out oh the Bible said they were roll, rolling they were toiling in the row and they were working they were laboring our friend listen they were they were struggling and Jesus knew where they was at and he came to them when they didn't even ask for help when they didn't even cry out to him listen he knew what they needed he come to them when they didn't even know what they need when they didn't even know where he was he came unto them amen 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 the position but notice the peace amen verse number 50 the Bible said for all for they all saw him and were troubled and immediately he talked with them and said unto them be of good cheer it is I be not afraid amen yeah listen how the Bible said, and I believe it's in Matthew, them supposing him to be a spirit. Hey, listen, here he come. Could you imagine? They're there on the sea. They've never seen anything like this before. And all of a sudden, here comes somebody in the moonlight walking upon the water. Amen. 
And they didn't say, oh, look, it's Jesus. No. Amen. It's dark. They can't really make him out too much. And, and they supposing him to be a spirit. And how but listen, they're troubled about it. And Jesus said, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And though they couldn't see him real well, when they heard him, they knew who he was. How because they knew his voice. How can I say when you're in a storm, there's nothing like his voice. When you don't know what's going on, when you don't know if you're going to make it to the other side, there's nothing like his voice in the midst of the storm. Amen. But notice the tragedy. Verse number 52. The Bible said they considered not the miracle of the loaves. Now it's amazing to me because I said there a moment ago that uh, this is the most prominent miracle in the ministry of Christ. It's the only, again, it's the only miracle mentioned in all four Gospels. And when I think about that, my mind, it merely, why is that? Why is it? I mean, I think, about, I think about some of the miracles that Christ performed. I think about him raising Lazarus from the dead after four days. Amen. I mean, that's amazing. But it's not mentioned all four. I mean, we could go on and on and on. What about Jesus turning the water to wine? I mean, that's an amazing, when you think about that, that's an amazing miracle. Amen. But that's not mentioned in all four Gospels. Oh, we could go on and on and on and, and talk about the, the many miracles of Christ. Uh, listen, Him raising the dead. And uh, what, about, what, about, uh, what about giving sight to the blind and all the things that He done and all the miracles that He performed. It's amazing. But to think that this miracle is the only one mentioned in all four Gospels. So evidently, uh, this miracle holds a special place in the ministry of Christ. And so my question is, why? Why is this the only miracle? Again, I mean, I could think of, in my mind, just looking at it from face value, I could think of other circumstances that seemed, I mean, raising the dead. I mean, that's, amen. But that those miracles, though they were great, though they were mighty, they're, they're not held in the category of this miracle. So why is it such a mighty miracle? Well, let me say this. First of all, because it was witnessed more than witnessed by more than any other miracle. Many of the miracles that Jesus performed, some of them were just amongst a handful. I mean, some of them, listen, some of them, it was just, uh, you think about when he went into Jairus's, uh, went into Jairus's home and went in that little girl's bedchamber and raised her from the dead. There's just a handful in that room. Now, they saw her come out and saw the results of the miracle, but they did not literally see him speak unto her and see her get up from the dead. Amen. I mean, listen, you could go on and on. I don't know how many was at Lazarus. I think about the maniac. You could go on and on at the miracles. Some of them, it was just a handful. Here, Jesus comes walking on the sea, and it appears to me that the disciples are the only one that sees this. But this miracle of the feeding of the multitude is seen by 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. Now, I don't know how many... It's there. I know 5,000 men's there. I know, listen, there's 12 disciples, one Savior, and one little boy. Amen. I know that much. But the Bible said there's 5,000 not counting the women and the children. And so they, if, if there is upward of fifteen to 20,000 people, 
Every one of them witnessed this miracle and watched Jesus perform this mighty miracle. And when it was all over with, they said this. They said, surely the prophet that Moses spoke of has come. Listen, they knew that he was the prophet that was prophesied of and all of those people on that hillside knew who he was. Amen. But not only is it witnessed by any more by more than any any other miracle, but I want to say this: it was different than any other miracle. Most of the miracles that Christ performed in his ministry were miracles of restoration. He restored the blind. He restored sight to the blind. He restored uh, listen life to those that were dead. How he raised the, uh, the lame man and give them restored strength in their legs. And we could go on and on. There, I, mean, I think about the man with the withered hand. Jesus restored the withered hand. Think about the woman with the issue of blood. He restored her to her former state. You think about those he's raised from the dead. What did he do? He restored them back to life. And so most of the miracles of Christ are miracles of restoration. But this miracle, is a miracle of creation. Yeah, that's good. Amen. Probably 20,000 people here on this hillside. What's the Creator at work? Amen. 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 So He takes five loaves and two small fishes and He feeds the multitude. Get this, listen. Here He is. There's, if there's, let's just say there's 20,000 people there. Let's just say that. If there's 20,000 people, he create, think about this, he created fish that had never been in the sea. Amen. He created fish that had been hatched from an egg that had never come. And they just come from nothing. Amen. And, the first, and the Bible said this, they've got five loaves and two fishes. Now, the Bible tells us that that's a lad's lunch. Is that right? That little boy's got that lunch. He, that little lad, he's got five loaves and two fishes. But that is a lunch sufficient for a little boy. Hello now. But the Bible tells us that all of them were filled. Now, I'm not the smartest fellow in the whole world, but I know this. It probably takes more to fill a grown man than it does a little boy. And so it probably took more than two fish and five barley loaves to feed a man. Amen. Some of them may have took ten fish. Ten barley loaves. Because the Bible said there's a lot of comparison between this miracle and, and listen, the manna that was sent from heaven. Everybody eat till it was sufficient for that individual personally. They eat till they were filled. But if Jesus just created enough two fishes for everybody, that means he's created possibly 40,000 fish. If he's created five barley loaves for everybody, he's created possibly 100,000 barley loaves. From barley that's never been in the ground. Bread that's never been in the oven. <laughs> he's just creating. Hey, you say, how's he doing it? Hi, friend, he's just breaking it and making it. Breaking it and making it. He's, he's giving it out and giving it out. Another fish, another barley loaf, another fish, and another barley loaf. And it's coming from the hand of the Creator. And here they are. They're watching the Creator at work. Amen. You know this. There's a lot of sorcery in that day. And they'd witness people do a lot of things. 
Do you remember when Moses went into Pharaoh and uh, Moses threw that rod down and become a serpent? And uh, listen, those, those sorcerers come in and uh, they duplicated the miracle of Moses. These men had seen a lot of sorcery. They'd seen a lot of things done. I'm telling you what, they'd never seen anybody do. They'd never seen anybody create something out of nothing. They'd never seen anybody just from his hand make a fish and make a barley loaf and hand it out. It's a miracle of creation. Amen. Now again, that's just if he created two fish. Amen. Five barley loaves. So we could, we could safely say there on that hillside he created several thousand fish and several thousand barley. Could you imagine that? Amen. I'll tell you something that's different about this, this miracle. Not all miracles, some of them, but not all miracles the disciples had anything to do with. Amen. Many of them Jesus just performed and they watched. But on this particular one, He allows them to have a part in it. Not only does He allow them to have a part in it, but He allows them to have a major part in it. Amen. You do the math, first 12 disciples, and there's just 5,000 men. How many, how many men are, was each disciple responsible for feeding? So they would go get that bread. They had five barley loaves and two small fishes, and they give it under the, uh, under the Lord, and He takes and breaks it and blesses it, and maybe, maybe they all get, get a five barley loaves and two fishes, and they go start handing them out, and maybe they look at one another and say, that's it, they ain't no more. They go back and, and uh, there's just there's some more fish and there's some more barley. And as, listen, as often as they come back, there's more fish and there's more barley bread. There's more fish. Amen. Hi, listen, Peter may have looked. I don't know this, but Peter may have looked at Andrew. One of them said, Hi, listen, that's all he had. When I left, he didn't have any more. And Andrew went back, come back, said, Oh, there's more where that came from. He's still making it. He's still creating. I don't know where it's coming from, but it's coming from somewhere. He's just creating it out of nothing. Amen. And they're going and getting fish from the hand of the Creator and delivering it. They're getting bread from the hand. I'm telling you, listen, they, they, nobody can convince them that this miracle is not real. They can say a lot of things about the other miracle. Well, you know, maybe they, if He raised the dead, maybe well, they weren't really dead. Amen. I mean, a lot of skeptics could say a lot of things maybe and try to uh, 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 find excuses for the other miracles. But this miracle, there's no convincing them that it did not happen. They literally seen Him create thousands upon thousands of fish and bread. Amen. And then, not only that, but I think it, there's the, the, the typology in it, how that it, he, he goes on down John 6 and says, I am the bread of life. Amen. I'm the bread which come down from heaven. Amen. Sufficient to meet your need. Amen. Every man was filled. It's sufficient to meet you. It does not matter. Listen, it didn't matter young, uh, it didn't matter man, woman, boy, and girl. It didn't matter where they come from. It didn't matter who they were. They got enough bread to supply them. They were sufficient. It was enough. It was sufficient how to listen to supply all of them. Amen. It's personal. They, they, they all got, again, they all got filled. So it's the greatest miracle in the ministry of Christ. But the Bible said they get in this storm, they, they leave that miracle. They literally, they literally just got done taking up fish. 
I, listen, I've taken fish from the hand of the Creator, barley bread from the hand of the Creator, and distributed it out. And they literally just took up 12 basket full of fragments. And uh, listen, they, 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 they've lived, they've not only experienced it, but they saw the leftovers. And, and these men were a part of this mighty miracle on the, on the northeastern shore of Galilee. Then they get on the ship and go to the other side. And as soon as the wind begins to blow, as soon as trouble comes, the Bible said they considered not the miracle of the loaves. Now I got a question. How in the world do you forget something like that so soon? How in the world is it that God has just done something amazing? God's just done something. Not only has everybody got filled, but the disciples got their belly full as, as well. And so, listen, they've just seen a, a miracle of creation that like nobody's ever witnessed before. And here they are, listen, just a few hours, literally, literally just a few hours later, they have forgotten what they experienced on the hillside. Amen. Now that word considered, if you, if you look at it, uh, listen, it means they, they, they didn't understand. And so they didn't really understand what he was trying to teach them. They did not really understand what uh, he was trying to impart unto them. And here they are, just a few hours later, they've, uh, listen, they forgot all about the miracle. They forgot all about uh, the loaves. They forgot all about what he's done. Well, I, again, I think, well, how in the world could they, how could they forget that? And I thought and started thinking about myself. How many times has God answered a prayer for me? How many times has God done something for me? And a few days later, a little trouble arises. And I forget about what, all about what He done last week. When I start murmuring and complaining and, and I think, well, how am I going to get through this? Here I am again. And, and uh, I mean, listen, you would think, you would just think that one of those disciples in that storm would have looked over to others and said, listen, fellas, everything's going to be all right. Did you just see what he done? I mean, did you, listen, this ain't nothing. I promise you, I know this looks bad right now, but it, it, listen, it's nothing. You know why? Because did you see what he just done? There ain't nobody ever done anything like that. I mean, what an amazing feat he just performed. Everything's, if he can do that, he can help us where we are. Now, I don't know what he's going to do, but it's going to be all right. Amen. They never said that. Why? Because they were too focused on their present condition. Has to remember what God had done for them in days gone by. They were too focused on the storm. They were too focused on the wind. They were too focused on the trouble. How listen to think about how the miracles that God had performed in their life and the works that God had done through them and in them and how God had listened worked over and over and over again. Hey, listen, they forgot all about that. Amen. Can I say tonight, you know, listen, it don't matter. If you're, if you're in here tonight and you're saved, you've experienced a miracle. Amen. Amen. The greatest miracle, amen. amen, is that He delivered you from condemnation. Amen. amen. Oh, listen, saved you and delivered you and reconciled you, regenerated you, and parted life, and give you light, and moved you from darkness unto light. Listen, that's the greatest miracle uh, that He has performed in your life. And listen, I'm going to be honest with you, we talk about a simple salvation message. Now hear me tonight, it's simple to get saved. But what happens to an individual 
is far from simple. Amen. The deepest truth in your Bible is the truth of salvation and what Jesus does in the life of an individual when they get saved. Amen. That's the deepest truth. Amen. Hey, you see, if you're saved tonight, you just didn't get delivered from hell. You did. But it's not just delivered from hell. You've been reconciled back to God. You've been regenerated. You've been restored. I'm telling you, thank God, listen, He has put you in Christ Jesus. We're accepted together. We're seated together. I thank God, listen, we're looked at as brethren. He does far more than just delivering us from hell. And if that's the only miracle that He ever performed... Amen. If that's the only thing you ever done, boy, it'd be enough when trouble comes. I'd say, man, he done that for me. He's not going to fail me this time. He done that for me. He's not going to let me down. He saved me. He's not going to disappoint me. He delivered me from condemnation. He is not going to fail me now. That would be enough. But you and I know that's not the only miracle he's ever performed for you. I'm to thank God. Listen, time after time again, prayer after prayer, God has come through and done the miraculous how that only he could do sometimes nobody knew what you was even praying for but God stepped in and done what nobody else could do and performed a miracle and you knew and you knew that it was the hand of God Amen but if we ain't careful a few days down the road how there'll be trouble arise cause it always does There'll be hardship arise because it always does. And we'll forget about what he done just a few days ago. How can I say tonight, don't forget about what he has done. Don't forget about the miracles he has performed. Don't forget about the things he's done for you over and over again. And if he done it yesterday, if he done it last week, he can do it tomorrow. He's still able. Hey, don't forget the miracle of the loaves. They consider not the miracle. Amen. Notice this. Notice the callousness of her heart. Verse 52. They considered not the miracle of the loaves. Here's why. For their heart was hardened. You see, they just come from the greatest miracle that they had ever witnessed and that they ever will witness apart from the resurrection of Christ. And they, listen, in a few hours, they let their circumstance, they let their situation, they let, listen, what was going on around them harden them on the inside. Amen. Their heart was hard. Hey, listen, uh, friend, can I just say tonight, do not let what you're going through. That if you're in a storm tonight, if you're facing trouble, it's not meant to harden you. Hey, but I'm telling you, it's meant to, it, it's meant to, uh, it meant to soften you. It's meant to uh, teach you. It's meant to grow us. Amen. Can I say this tonight? You know, the waves beat into the ship. The Bible talks about the waves. The ship was tossed by the waves. If you read the other accounts, Jesus come walking on the waves. So the very thing they were afraid of was the vehicle that brought Jesus to them. 
So listen, if I'm just simply say, I just come by to say this tonight. Hey, friend, don't let the don't let the circumstances of life, don't let the hardships of life, don't let the things we go through harden your heart. Hey, just keep your eyes on Him and what He is, who He is, and what He's done. And listen, keep looking to Him tonight. You say, preacher, I don't know what I'm going to do. No, you may not, but He knows what He's going to do. That's what He told him in John six. How the Bible said, for He knew what He would do. Hey, I don't know what to do, but I'm glad he knows what he's going to do. Amen. And their heart was hard. Amen. Oh, we live in a hard, a society of hardened hearts. Amen. Hardened hearts. What we ought to do tonight, we ought to let God tenderize us. We ought to let God humble us. Or let God do the work in our heart that He intends. You see, here's the sad reality. They did not get the lesson out of the storm that He wanted them to get. How? Because their heart was hardened. They didn't learn what He intended for them to learn. They didn't understand what He intended for them to understand because their heart was hard. Amen. It's a tragedy that they could forget such a miracle and allow their hearts to get hardened so soon removed from the miracle of the loaves. Amen. Let's bow our head tonight for a word of prayer. I'm going to pray. I believe that's what the Lord wants me to preach on tonight. I don't know your heart. I don't know where you are with the Lord. You may, need to, you, may to, you may need to be in the altar right now. You may be here tonight and your heart's hardened. You know it is. and you, you Listen, you're in church and, and, and you're trying to do But your heart is hard. Or you may be here tonight and you're in a storm and, and uh, you feel like you don't know how you're going to go on and you feel like maybe that God don't even know where you're at. Can I promise you, don't forget the miracles. Don't forget what He has done. He'll do it again, friend. He'll do it again. If you're here and you're not saved tonight, it'd be a good, it'd be a good night. Let Him work the ultimate miracle in your life. Let Him save you from the condemnation of sin. If you'll come to Him, He'll do it. We're going to pray tonight. Maybe we can get somebody to come to the piano. That'd be all right.